your daily dose of debate, breaking news, and uncensored views. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth, and a great day to speak with uh, one of the leaders on Capitol Hill who has been uh, most clear and forceful about supporting the good guys in a struggle between good and evil that is going on in Europe right now. I'm talking to uh, Senator Ted Cruz uh, of Texas, junior senator from Texas, who uh, was there applauding those sections of President Biden's speech where he indicated support for Ukraine. And in fact, uh, Senator Cruz has pressed for more forceful, more decisive support. Uh, Senator Cruz, a, uh, an honor to have you on the show again. And I want to ask you, first off, th there's talk today uh, based upon uh, various sources from the Ukrainian government, apparently, of their desire, their desperate need for some kind of no-fly zone over the country to take out the devastating impact of the Russian Air Force. Do you think that is a viable idea? Is it an idea that you support? Well, Michael, it's good to be with you. Um, I don't think that particular idea is a good idea, uh, and the reason for that is is that that would involve U.S. forces engaged in direct combat with Russian troops, and I think that is a recipe for disaster. Uh, I think there is very little appetite among either Republicans or Democrats for U.S. troops engaged in direct combat with Russia. That being said, I think there is much more we can and should be doing. Uh, and I think it is also worth reflecting on how we got where we are today, that the reason uh, Russia invaded Ukraine, the reason we are in this crisis, is because of significant mistakes by the Biden White House, mistakes that they still refuse to correct. And, and if we don't correct them, uh, the result is going to be disastrous. What's the most important mistake to correct? So there, there, there are two precipitating causes of this invasion. Number one was the disastrous withdrawal uh, from Afghanistan and the surrender to the Taliban. And I think when that happened last summer, uh, every enemy of America looked to Washington, took the measure of the man in the Oval Office, and unfortunately concluded that, that the president was, was weak and feckless and ineffective. And at the time, I, I said the chances of Russia invading Ukraine have just increased tenfold, and the chances of China invading Taiwan have increased tenfold. But, but then secondly, Michael, are mistakes that are very specific and particular to Russia uh, and, and Ukraine. Putin didn't just wake up yesterday and decide he wanted to invade Ukraine. He's wanted to invade Ukraine for decades. He has stated that he wants to reassemble the old Soviet Union, and in fact, he's gone further than that and says he wants to reassemble the Russian Empire of 1922. Putin did, in fact, invade Ukraine in 2014, but, but, but he, he invaded Crimea, the southern portion, but he didn't invade the entirety of the country. Why? Well, the reason is that, that Russia's major source of revenue is exporting oil and natural gas, and the natural gas goes in pipelines right through the middle of Ukraine. And if he invaded all of Ukraine, he risks damaging or destroying those pipelines. And so in 2015, the next year, he began a project called Nord Stream 2, which is an undersea pipeline directly from Russia to Germany. It skips Ukraine altogether. And it was designed so that when it was turned on, he could invade Ukraine and not have to worry about the infrastructure. 
In 2019, I introduced legislation, sanctions, to stop Nord Stream 2. It was bipartisan sanctions, passed Congress overwhelmingly with massive bipartisan support. President Trump signed my sanctions legislation into law, and Putin stopped building the Nord Stream 2 pipeline literally the day Trump signed the sanctions legislation. For a year, Nord Stream 2 was dead, and Putin did not invade Ukraine as a result. Then Joe Biden became president on January 20th, 2021. Four days later, Putin again began building deep sea pipeline on Nord Stream 2 because Biden projected weakness, and last year he formally waived sanctions on Nord Stream 2, which allowed Putin to complete the pipeline. That is why Putin invaded Ukraine. And, and by the way, when Biden waived those sanctions, I said at the time the result of this is going to be Russian tanks in the streets of Kiev. Ukraine said at the time the result of this is going to be Russia invading Ukraine. Poland said at the time the result of this is going to be Russia invading Ukraine. And so it, it, it is the American weakness from the White House that caused this invasion. You asked what should we do about it? The most important thing we can do is make the Nord Stream 2 sanctions permanent, remove Biden's ability to waive those sanctions, and we need to boycott Russian oil and gas. The Biden White House has put sanctions in place, but they've exempted energy, and it is the oil and gas sales where Putin is getting the revenue to fund this war. Wasn't it crucial that uh, the chancellor of Germany, new chancellor, Olaf Scholz, uh, actually took uh, at the very early days of this crisis after the Russian invasion, he took steps to decertify the Nord Stream 2. So getting German buy-in and cooperation, isn't that crucial to making those sanctions stick? So, so I don't believe it was. I, I, I think that, that Germany was forced to do this after the invasion happened. But, but it's worth noting, when I authored the sanctions and they passed in 2019, Putin stopped building Nord Stream 2 that day. Germany opposed the sanctions at the time. It didn't matter. Um, the, the, and in fact, the European Parliament voted on Nord Stream 2, and the vote was something like 500 to 50 against Nord Stream 2. So virtually the entirety of Europe opposed Nord Stream 2. The only exceptions were Russia and Germany. And what happened was, but we stopped it. The sanctions stopped Nord Stream 2 dead in its tracks, which prevented a Russian invasion of Ukraine. When Biden came in, he was so concerned uh, about making the German government happy that he was willing to surrender and, and to give away a massive national security victory we had won. You know, Michael, it was striking a couple of weeks ago. We had a classified briefing with all 100 senators. And a Democratic senator got up and asked the Secretary of State, said, why didn't Putin invade Ukraine in 2017? Why didn't he invade in 2018, 2019, 2020? And, and i got to tell you, I and several other senators just began laughing because the, the, the question answers itself, which, which is that Putin, and this is true of all bullies and tyrants, only responds to strength. And Putin feared a strong American response. When Biden waived the sanctions on Nord Stream 2, it was an invitation to invade. And even now today, look, Vladimir Putin is a petro-tyrant, and the Biden White House refuses to sanction their oil and gas sales 
which is exactly what is funding this war. We are literally sending the money to Russia to pay for the invasion of Ukraine. Dude, but the, after the fact, Senator, do, yeah. given the fact that there are right now the first uh, Ukrainian city has fallen, Kherson, yeah. and where we are, do you believe that uh, uh, doing sanctions on oil and gas will force a withdrawal by Russia? So I think full-scale sanctions on oil and gas, getting Europe to boycott Russian oil and gas, I think it would be the single most effective thing for weakening Putin, for, for crippling the Russian economy. I think we should combine that with providing massive military aid to Ukraine, weapons like stingers and javelins, which Biden has been slow walking for a year. We should give them the equipment to defend themselves. The Ukrainians are heroically defending their homeland. They want to defend Ukraine, and the Biden administration is slow walking the military aid that they need to be able to defend themselves. Uh, that's Senator Ted Cruz, the uh, senator from Texas, of course, very well known to this audience and to the whole country. And again, his support for the Ukrainian cause has been uh, consistent and powerful. I appreciate your uh, participation, Senator. When we come back, more on the prospects for peace, really? We'll get to that coming up on The Medved Show. The Michael Medved Show. All across America. This is The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show. I appreciate the conversation with Senator Ted Cruz. And of course, I agree with him, as I think everybody does, about the contribution of the Afghan disaster, that making a real contribution to a perception of United States chaotic leadership and weakness. I, uh, I do think that uh, he underestimates the impact of uh, the world coming together on this. It was a powerful message that he helped to send, by the way, and good for you, Senator Cruz, standing up and applauding for President Biden when he talked about bringing the nation together on this issue and making it in any way a partisan issue is a terrible mistake because right now there is one purpose, and that should be the purpose above all, which is to stop the killing to stop the invasion, to secure the survival of uh, the Ukrainian president and of the Ukrainian state, because its survival is very much in jeopardy. There's a powerful piece in The Atlantic by somebody who knows combat, uh, David French, who was a decorated veteran of uh, the Iraq and Afghan wars, and uh, David French writes about how heroic and inspiring the resistance to Russia has been in Ukraine, but uh, it doesn't mean that Ukraine will necessarily survive, unfortunately. And uh, the, the reason that he points out is that what Russians have always 
had with their military is they're not great with technical equipment. They're not great with intelligence. They're not great with planning, with strategic uh, considerations. And uh, apparently there are reports now that the Ukrainians have captured the original Russian war plans, and they're a mess. They haven't, uh, they haven't realized at all. But what the Russians compensate with is, is very deeply increased firepower. That's why they're noted for uh, basically destroying the Syrian city of Aleppo with their intervention in Syria. And even more spectacularly, the city of Grozny, which is the capital of Chechnya, which they basically obliterated and at minimum cost to them just pounding and pounding and pounding. And when you're Vladimir Putin and you're an absolute ruler and you're a thug and a creep and maybe deranged, uh, you think nothing of uh, literally destroying a city. And if that is the prospect for uh, Kiev and for Kharkov, uh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's not an encouraging prospect. The uh, Ukrainian president, uh, Volodymyr Zelensky, participated today in a second round of talks with Russian and Belarusian representatives about uh, trying to end this invasion and bring peace to his country. And uh, no indication at all of successful negotiations. But uh, he's very, very clear on wanting to achieve peace. This is uh, what um, President Zelensky said to his countrymen in the face of the Russian invasion. It's clip 13. I am so confident with our military and with our people defending our state because our state is very special and our people are very special and I don't want them destroyed. I want them all to remain, not only in history. I don't want Ukraine's history to be a legend about 300 Spartans. I want peace. And I want peace in my country. We are on our land. We are ready for anything. Okay, when he talks about the 300 Spartans, what he's talking about is the historical sacrifice of uh, 300 Spartans who fought to the death and delayed a, a very much larger Persian army that was sweeping down onto ancient Greece allowing uh, the Athenian allies at that time of the Spartans to uh, win the Bar Battle of Marathon. But uh, again, taking the idea that uh, Ukraine is 300 Spartans who are holding off rampaging P Putin, uh, no, he doesn't want them to just sacrifice their nation and to sacrifice their lives for some future victory. The important thing here is to to try to figure out the terms of peace. Now, right now, there's a great deal of talk about, uh, oh, here's something. This is breaking news. Uh, Ukraine says that it has reached a tentative agreement with Russia to organize safe corridors for civilians to evacuate for humanitarian supplies to be delivered. Under the agreement, ceasefires would be observed where safe corridors are created. Uh, could that be to Russia's advantage in the sense of 
emptying out uh, portions of Ukraine that are going to be particular targets for the uh, continued Russian assault. Who knows? The one thing about it is it's at least a tentative agreement, and uh, it might help to save lives. There uh, it was also this defiant note from President Zelensky, and it's very, very important that this get transmitted as well as the desire to actually achieve peace and salvation for his country. Uh, here is uh, President Zelensky, clip 14. There is no weapon you wouldn't use against us, against free citizens of Ukraine. And now you go out and tell your propagandists that you are going to send so-called humanitarian aid to Ukraine. Please remember, you godless people, when people curse you, you have nowhere to hide. Okay, uh, and uh, who who knows what extremes the Putin regime would go to? Uh, there's a a very wonderful response that President Zelensky gave, which uh, we'll we'll play in just a, a few moments. But it, he was asked a question about his life today and about living conditions in Ukraine. And uh, obviously, when you see what is going on there, and when you see what is going on in, in the world, first of all, there's an issue close to home, which goes to one of the key issues in this upcoming election series. A teacher in Virginia, and remember, Virginia is where the uh, new governor, Glenn Youngkin, is uh, pushing hard for more parent control of education. A substitute teacher uh, of Spanish interrupted his Spanish class to tell his students that um, he supported Putin and he thought Putin was right to invade Ukraine. There was a Ukrainian child in that class. Uh, we will go to what happened coming up on the Medved Show. This is the Michael Medved Show. This is totally, completely inappropriate. Fascinating story out of uh, Washington, D.C. area and the Arlington Public Schools, Arlington, Virginia, which is just across the river from uh, Washington. The, um, and there's a 65-year-old teacher, substitute teacher, named John Stanton. And he was teaching at a middle school Spanish class. That's Swanson Middle School. Now, why, when you're a substitute teacher and you're trying to teach your kids Spanish, you would veer into urging them to read Sputnik News, which is the English language version of Pravda, which is um, basically pro-Putin Russian propaganda, and why you would indicate your own personal backing for Vladimir Putin. Why should that even come up in a, in a Spanish class? And, uh, and especially... One of the many letters that apparently poured into the school board 
protesting this guy. He's been suspended, and he's decided he's not even going to appeal his suspension. Uh, it turns out that he is a former paid propagandist. Uh, no, this is no kidding. This is uh, as reported in uh, Newsweek and the Washington Post and um, all over that uh, this John Stanton previously had written for Sputnik as well as for Pravda, the main propaganda source for Russia's Communist Party. Wonderful. And uh, he had said, uh, told the students that uh, Putin made a rational decision from his perception to invade. And... uh, and by, by the way, he also indicated or acknowledged that uh, the when he was writing for Pravda and Sputnik, uh, they uh, they are subject to a media watchdog that said they can't use terms like assault, invasion, or declaration of war for describing the conflict. And he urged students to get another side of the conflict by reading those very heavily uh, censored sources. They say in Newsweek, um, many people on both sides of the nation's partisan divide have been united in their opinion that Putin's invasion was unprovoked. Well, of course it was unprovoked. I mean, what, what would you say was the provocation for the invasion? Uh, I mean, I, I, I think it was right to say that he was encouraged in the invasion by uh, the this administration uh, supporting or uh, removing objections to Nord Stream 2. And you can say that he was encouraged by American weakness, but that didn't provoke this invasion. What provoked the invasion was Putin's desire to rebuild a Russian empire. And... Uh, the idea that this is a rational decision or acceptable being taught to middle schoolers by a substitute teacher in a Spanish class is outrageous. So uh, he had briefly drafted John Stanton a petition for reinstatement. However, he he then uh, told the board in a letter, it is pointless to petition. And he said in that letter, we live in a time of war propaganda from both sides which brings with it censorship of opinions deviating from the core message. It is at a fever pitch now, he continued in the letter, as an expert in information warfare and the author of many pieces on the subject, I speak with some authority. Yeah, but not to middle schoolers when you're being paid as a substitute teacher to teach Spanish. And yes, I understand that uh, it's tough with everything that's going on not to think about this war. And and by the way, yes, it affects all sorts of things. Disney just made a um, a solid move, and they could do even more. They uh, removed uh, Anastasia, which is or Anastasia, if you want, which is a um, uh, animated feature about the rumored surviving daughter of uh, Tsar Nikolai. And by the way, this departs the the animated feature, which is not among the best. Uh, it it departs very dramatically from the true story, which is kind of a fascinating story about a, an imposter 
who pretended to be Anastasia, the only surviving child of the uh, a a assassinated uh, Russian czar and czarina, and I think it was 11 children that they had who were killed with her. It may have been a total of 11 people who were killed. In any event, they're, uh, that's removed. They're not going to be able to get that film anymore on Disney+. Plus. And uh, Jeremy made the very solid point, and he's right. They could shut down Russian Disneyland, and I didn't think they had a Russian Disneyland, but they do. They have a, an attraction, a, an amusement park called Dream Island. Uh, what was it? There, there's a, uh, an island in Pinocchio where they... They turn the, uh, uh, fu no, Fun Island, I think they call it, in Pinocchio, uh, where, where the children are turned into donkeys and things like that by being encouraged to Pleasure Island. Thank you very much. I said Fun Island. Okay. Um, this, is, this is all outrageous. And, again, to, to get a perspective on this, and it's one of the reasons that um, Volodymyr Zelensky has become a hero to many of us. I think he's been positively heroic. And uh, here, via translator, he is asked about his current living conditions in Ukraine. And I actually think his, his answer is profound. This is clip 16. It's hard to answer it. Life uh, is as it is. My life today is wonderful. I believe that I am needed. I think that's the most important sense of life, that you are needed. That you are not just an emptiness that breathes and walks and eats something. Isn't that terrific? I mean, I know that, uh, yeah, the the idea that you are needed, that you are necessary. And um, I, this comes back to uh, a traditional uh, Jewish teaching, which is that um, uh, the the idea that you are necessary that there are people who depend on you, that 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 helps people in the process of recovery. When you're praying for recovery from any kind of infirmity or any kind of life-threatening situation, and this was very much on my mind when I was having a little bit of a life interruption with cancer, is what what gives you hope and purpose and obviously is animating uh, Vladimir Zelensky, and this is not to compare myself to his heroism at all, but uh, is that sense that you're necessary, you're needed, uh, you're important. And that can certainly be his uh, situation now. Uh, there's also, he has apparently dodged a bullet. This is a very complicated story, and we won't get the full details of it for a while, but apparently there were a, uh, a group of assassins, Chechen assassins, 
who had been assigned by the Russians to uh, kill Zelensky. And he knows, and he's talked about this, he is target number one if they uh, find him and, uh, and murder him. So uh, what happened with the Chechen assassins? Uh, they were actually betrayed by an unlikely source, and a bunch of the assassins are dead instead of Zelensky. We'll get to that coming up. It's called The Michael Medved Show. Michael Medved show. Uh, there's talk about assassination in every direction. Uh, talk about assassinating Zelensky and talk about assassinating Putin. Uh, it's been talked about in conservative media recently. There is a Russian businessman who has put a $1 million bounty on Vladimir Putin's head. Uh, good idea. We will get to that. Uh, I, just a little hint here. I, I'm not sure <laughs> at all. Would it be wonderful if something happened to Putin? Sure. But uh, if it is state-sponsored terrorism and assassination, that's uh, much more of a problem. Let's go to Derek in Seattle. Derek, you're on the Michael Medved Show. Hey, Michael, how would you feel about Russia making Mexico a client state and putting javelin missiles on our southern border? Javelin missiles are no problem. You know what javelin missiles do? Would you have a problem with that? I really, really doubt that you're being honest here. No, I'm being perfectly honest. Javelin missiles are not aimed at cities. They're not aimed at forts. They're not aimed at people. They're aimed at tanks. And if Mexico felt that they were menaced by U.S. tanks, they aren't. And uh, they wanted to make sure defensively that we didn't take tanks across the border. And, and by the way, the Javelin missiles that we have sent to Ukraine were not on the border. They're inside Ukraine, and they're meant to deter Russian tanks. What's wrong with that? I do not believe you. If Russia had military assets of any kind on our southern border, you and the pro-war cartel would be screaming bloody murder. I do not believe you. I think you're lying. Okay. The, the question here is, well, what about the Cuban Missile Crisis? I think that, yes, we should do everything we could, just as President Kennedy did, to avoid missiles that are close to the United States that are clearly aimed at the United States. But that does not mean invading. You'll note that uh, when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened, uh, President Kennedy is almost universally praised for the handling of that crisis and the removal of that missiles without provoking a nuclear war or shedding any blood. So... Uh, and by the way, do you really believe that that President Putin ordered this invasion because he was afraid of an attack from Ukraine? I don't think he wants 
a violent adversary that has a history of invading other countries unprovoked. I'm thinking Iraq. I'm thinking Libya. I, I don't think he wanted that next to his border. Right. Where, where's Ukraine's history of attacking other countries unprovoked? The United States has a history of attacking other countries unprovoked. I'm thinking Iraq. I'm thinking Libya. Where was the outrage when the United States mopped up Libya? Okay, the, the United States mopped up Libya in the midst of a domestic uh, civil war, basically. And nobody, I don't think that the situation in Libya was handled well. But the United States is very clear, and I think it's very right, in pushing for a nuclear nonproliferation. And by the way, this is uh, very much related to the problem in Ukraine, because you know about the Budapest Memorandum to which the United States and Russia were signatories? Yep. Okay, you know what it was. It was for Ukraine to give up its nuclear weapons. It was the third largest nuclear power in the world because the Russians had left behind in Ukraine uh, a substantial number of uh, nuclear weapons. And Ukraine gave those weapons up uh, t together for a signed promise by the United States and by Russia that its sovereignty would be protected uh, by, by those countries in, if they gave up their nuclear weapons. And there's a piece today, and it's a profound piece in the Wall Street Journal, about how terrible it is that now both the United States and, and Russia's obviously ignoring its signature on that memorandum, but so are we. Because, uh, and, and what that says to any nation that we want to get rid of its nuclear weapons, hold on to your nukes, because they are going to be a, a, a more reliable guarantee of uh, your security. One of the reasons that the United States is not getting involved with a direct confrontation with Russia, as in a no-fly zone, which a number of people have advocated that Senator Cruz spoke against on this show moments ago, is because we don't want to be involved with a nuclear adversary. Right? You follow? I do follow. And just to be clear, I am not condoning what Putin has done. But what sure I am sounds like you are. Is, well, what I am saying is that we have mishandled our involvement in that area and not taken into account how Russia perceives uh, NATO, which is essentially United States advancement and intervention right on his border with military assets. Okay, in what nation have we moved those military assets to take over? We haven't. What we have done has been what I believe to be a noble and righteous and appropriate undertaking, which is to look at nations that had been imprisoned, basically. In fact, they used to be called captive nations and uh, have now moved toward Western democracy and values and, and basically uh, a, an orderly government and taken a look at countries like Poland and like the Baltic republics and like the Czech Republic and even like Hungary and have said that those nations joining NATO will be protected from attack. 
But there is no sense that the United States has come in and taken over Hungary or Czechoslovakia or the Czech Republic or Bulgaria or any of them. And these are countries who wanted very much to be part of NATO. And so what, what you have here is one power, the United States, that recognizes the democratic wishes of people within a state and respects them, and another power that, that clearly not only ignores the democratic wishes of the people who live in Ukraine, but obviously was even unaware of them. And uh, NATO, for descriptions for everyone here, is an alliance that consists of 30 independent member countries. Country by country, this page offers an overview of the links to national information servers and the website of the national delegations to NATO. It uh, is not mostly the U.S. Most of NATO is European. And that's why some of the changes in German policy with the Germans making a bigger contribution to their own defense than uh, they ever have is a very good thing. Uh, Derek, I appreciate your call. And uh, again, uh, thank goodness we... What, what I thought you could bring up, by the way, when we brought up Mexico, was the Monroe Doctrine. And uh, the Monroe Doctrine is a basically established uh, 200 years ago. Uh, uh, basically says that the United States is not going to take over countries in this hemisphere, but it is going to wade off and uh, defend countries in this hemisphere. In other words, all the countries in Latin America and in Central America, including Mexico, is going to fend off any attempts by European powers to meddle in those affairs. Has the Monroe Doctrine been followed scrupulously? No. <laughs> Has it been important at different points in American history as uh, during the period of time when uh, there was uh, a, a real attempt uh, by European nations to uh, take over Mexico with the uh, Archduke Maximilian of Austria being established as a Mexican ruler? tied to the European House of Habsburg. Uh, this was uh, a, a, a righteous and appropriate move uh, by the Lincoln administration, even after President Lincoln's death. We're going to be speaking about Lincoln. Uh, there is a, uh, a new book about Lincoln's drive for peace. Because we know Lincoln mostly as a war president. What were his ideas about peace? What is the relevance to pursuing peace right now with the war in Europe? We will get to that and more with John Avlon uh, coming up in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.